You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast. I am your host, Ajit. My co-host, Giri, is away on uh, other work. Therefore, I'll be your host for this episode. We have had a lot of uh, interesting test cricket in the recent couple of weeks. And uh, one specific series from that was the England versus New Zealand series. And in order to help us unpack uh, how the series went, we have James from the Full Toss blog joining us. Hello, James. Welcome. No problem. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good, James. How are you seeing the weather now? I think uh, winter is coming now. Yeah, it's pretty horrible outside. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> you can probably imagine. It's England. It's December. It's going to be horrible. <laughs> Well, all the leaves are gone and uh, we've not yet seen some snow here. I don't know if you already saw some. Uh, not yet, not too, not too much. Um, I saw on the news it's been snowing in, in the mountains in Australia, which, which seems a bit bizarre because I always associate Australia with being really, really warm. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, just, just frost at the moment. Um, scraping off the car in the morning before the school run is, uh, is uh, a great pleasure. <laughs> now I can imagine. It's also the first day of uh, you know negative temperature in the year today here and yeah uh-huh. public transport come, come a little bit of a halt and so on and so on so yeah, we, we are pushing on i guess it's more or less the same weather uh, but yeah we have some test cricket to keep us warm i'm sure so yeah before we get into the uh, you know the some of the good talking points maybe let's take a quick look at the result of course new zealand took the series 1-0 this is uh, because they won the first test that happened at mount monganui so it was a very instructive test because it was very old school it was yeah. not one of these uh, three-day, four-day affairs that we see a lot of. It properly went into the last day and more uh, more than half a day of the last day was also used. Yeah. So it's more like, uh, you know, it's Ben Stokes who made 91, Denley who made 94, a bunch of other good contributions, Rory Burns 52 and so on. But, you know, New Zealand batted, they were in a bit of trouble, but uh, Valling and the lower middle order had a different idea of their own. So uh, yeah. Vattling made a 205. Colin de Grandhome 65 and then Santner 126. Between these three people, they batted and batted and batted and sort of, you know, old school test cricket where they grind the opposition into the dust. And when it came their turn to bat, uh, England put a good resistance, but yeah. uh, it was enough overs left in the match for New Zealand to enforce the result and they were able to do that. This was the first test. So in the same test, uh, which was played in Hamilton, in Seddon Park, Hamilton, Again, New Zealand uh, batted first in this case, and they made 375, sort of a comparative score when it comes to the first tests, first innings. Uh, and England also made a very solid reply. They came up with 476. In this case, uh, Rory Burns made a maiden hunt, and the post joke 226, uh, at least temporarily silencing so many of those critics of his. Ollie Pope made some supporting them, and 476 and 100-run uh, lead was very good, I think. But in return, New Zealand batted very sensibly with, uh, you know, uh, even though they lost their openers sort of cheaply, Ken Williamson made 100 and so did Ross Taylor. And they sort of shut the door firmly on England. It was almost a formality after, uh, you know, about midday on the last day. And they made sure they took up all the time before rains arrived. And that was that. Right. So New Zealand won the series as deservedly, we can say, maybe. Mm. And uh, so these were, let's say, the results in a nutshell. But um, let's go over some of the talking points. I think you, you, your latest, one of your latest blog articles uh, does a very nice job you know shining the light on some nice topics would you like to go 
yeah, go go into them for us. Yeah, I mean, these it's interesting because this two test series isn't included in the in the World Test Championship. Um, and although I'm I'm sure that England really really wanted to to win the series because they have a new coach in uh, in Chris Silverwood, uh, there was a bit of a, a kind of a developmental feel to the tour in that England wanted to see what some new player how some new players would go. Um, and we were hoping to learn quite a lot. And that, um, although New Zealand were favourites, I don't think a lot of England fans particularly expected us to win. So losing wasn't a huge disappointment. But but the disappointing thing for me is that we didn't really learn that much. Um, it was kind of same old, same old for England away. England are, are a very good test team in home conditions when they have the Duke ball and you know it swings around corners. But, but when we go overseas, we do struggle to take wickets. Um, and our batsmen fantastic in one day cricket but they don't necessarily have the aptitude to for bat for long periods of time in test cricket and um and i think really that's my my overriding feeling about this uh this tour is that almost it was an opportunity missed i think for england to to find out more about some of these younger players um and it, it yeah it was it was pretty much standard fare indeed well when we talk about younger players, they did bring in a few. Yeah. So Dom Sibley debuted. Mm-hmm. Molly Pope got another go, right? Jofra Archer is still a bit green behind his ears. So, and Joe Denley, an experienced, uh, you know, a first-class cricketer, he is. He's sort of still new yeah. in the setup, right? So you had all of these. Do we do we do just the England team as one in transition, maybe? Yeah, it, it's difficult though because the England Test team has been in transition for several years now, um, <laughs> and that's the thing. The results are, are quite erratic. Um, they've said that after the World Cup, because because the thing with um, English cricket is that um, they really wanted to win the World Cup at home, and England have always underperformed in World Cups, or well, they have done for a long time, and and they desperately wanted to win that World Cup, and because of that, first class cricket and the Test team almost took a bit of a backseat. Um, so now they're saying that test cricket is going to be prioritized again and that they're going to aim to put out a very competitive side in the ashes and um, down under in a couple of years time. So they really have to start building now. You know, they say it's a, a team in transition. Well, they've got to kind of turn it around quite quickly because, um, you know, there's some tough test matches coming up and, and obviously the ultimate test will, tests will come in, in India and, um, in Australia. Um, and unless we get our act together quite quickly, we're going to get thrashed in those countries. So um, there's a lot of hard work to do. You know, um, they went into the tour with a couple of conundrums that they would have liked to have solved. So if we were to begin from the bowling end of it, yeah, uh, is there life after Anderson and Broad would be one of the questions, I guess. Uh-huh. Right? Anderson is very near the end of his career. If not, uh, his career has already ended. We don't know yet. And uh, the exciting Jofra Archer. Do you see this England attack really being successful both at home and away? I think they'll always be successful at home um, because English cricket is stocked with medium-fast seamers who are accurate and swing the ball. Um, and not a lot of visiting sides play the swinging ball, ball particularly well. So England will always be competitive in, in home conditions. I think when we go away from home, we need more pace in the attack. Um, and... Um, Joffre Archer is obviously a, a step in the right direction, but he, you know, he, he can't do it on his own and he is still learning. He's played relatively little first class cricket, let alone test cricket. Yeah. Um, but that there is hope. We do have some some younger bowlers around who, who have a little bit of pace. Um, there's people like Ollie Stone. And of course, there's Mark Wood as well, who performed very well in the World Cup. But the problem is keeping them fit. I think that if England can keep the, these young fast bowlers fit, then they'll be competitive. But, you know, that it, it's a big if, you know. 
Indeed. Well, I mean, what about Chris Wokes? Has he come along as well as one would have liked, given that he's been around this setup for three to four years and been playing test cricket both home and abroad? Yeah, Chris Wokes is a, an, an admirable cricketer. He's 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 actually a very good batsman as well. Um, Australia sort him out with a short ball a little bit, but he, but he is a good all-round cricketer. And he's got plenty of admirers in, in England. But I, I think at this point, though, that with Chris Wokes, I, I don't think there's a lot of development mm. um, to be done. I think we're seeing you know, peak wokes now. Um, and again, he kind of symbolises the problem with England um, generally in that he's a good bowler at home, you know, when it swings around with the Duke's ball. But when he goes overseas, he's, he's you know, he can bowl accurately, um, but he's not very effective. He's not very penetrative. Um, and, and that's a problem. Um, and, and really, I, I, you know, you can't get rid of a, a cricketer um, like Chris Wokes and just put him in, in the garbage pile. Um, but England do need to start looking beyond orthodox right arm, fast, medium seamers if they want to be successful overseas. Um, so there is a case for moving on from people like Chris Wokes. Um, but of course, the question is, is there anyone better who is fit? What of Sam Curran then? Uh, Sam Curran really divides opinion um, for a lot of because he's young and fresh faced and enthusiastic and he's he scored runs down the order. Um, and he has picked up wickets now and again. He, he's kind of like a bit of a darling for a lot of fans, um, but a lot of fans remain England fans remain quite sceptical as well. He he's not particularly tall. He's not particularly quick. He does he can be effective if the ball swings, um, but you know, I long term he might end up being more of a batting all rounder than a bowling all rounder. Um, he, he's a cricketer of immense potential. Um, but we just have to kind of wait and see how he develops. How he develops. Like he's he's not a, an opening bowler at this point. I doubt he ever will be. But but if he can score runs, I can see him playing a valuable role as maybe fourth seamer, um, and maybe a bit more than that at home. Yeah, it, it's difficult. I, I think again, England, you know, with Sam Curran, are just going to have to take it on a, a match by match basis and see what the conditions are. Um, I, I can't see him playing too much in in, in the subcontinent because England will will bring in another spinner. And maybe only pick a couple of seamers, um, but, um, but but the thing about Sam Curran is he offers quite a lot. But at, at this current time, before he's he's older and developed, um, you kind of wonder if he's if he's good enough at either batting or bowling to to warrant a, a place in the side. I think potentially he could be. Um, but at this current point in his development, it, it's kind of difficult to say. So th- that brings us to the spinner question: Is Jack Leach good enough to be the lone spinner in the eleven? For all conditions, do you think? Jack Leach has been getting a lot of stick. And I um, at Mount Monganui in the first test in New Zealand, he didn't have his best game. He kept the runs down um, and offered the captain um, control. But he didn't look that penetrative with the ball. But it's really important that we don't judge Jack Leach on the back of one bad game. You know, he still averages 29 in test cricket in his first 10 tests. You know, Graham Swan averaged 29.9 at the end of his career. So... For, for Leach to be averaging 29 after 10 tests, I think is a really, really good return and a great start to his test career. Um, I think he is a good bowler, Jack Leach. Um, I think that we need to persevere with our young spinners. So I would certainly be giving him more opportunities. I, I think it's really, he should never have been dropped for, the, for that final test. I thought that was harsh. And, you know, as you may know, um, England picked five seamers for for that second test, which was, you know, idiocy, really. Um, I, you know, the jury's out. 
with with Leach just like any young cricketer, but he's shown a lot of promise. And I, I personally wouldn't be going back to to Moen Ali. Um, Moen Ali is just a bit too erratic for me. He, he can take wickets, Moen, but he also doesn't really offer the captain control. And he was dropped for a reason. I think we now need to give Jack Leach um, a, a prolonged run to see if he can be better. And at the moment, he's he's done well. He outbowled Nathan Lyon in in, in the Ashes taking his wickets at 26, whereas Lyon took his at 33. And he did well in Sri Lanka too. So, you know, I, I think that Jack Leach has, has got some potential. Indeed. Now, he can be a lead spinner. And when it comes to Moin Ali, he can be your uh, second spinner. I don't think he should be given the role of the lead spinner. I know he has test five hours. He's won matches against India. Yeah, no, um, if Moen's going to be a second spinner, he's probably going to need to score more runs because he was, um, you know, he'll, he'll need to be playing a proper all-rounders role. But uh, Moen's an incredibly talented um, all-round cricketer and a, and a brilliant batsman to watch when he's, you know, when he's on form. But, but you know, his, his his lack of form with the bat was one of the reasons why he was dropped and he is vulnerable against the short ball. And if England are, are building towards those ashes in a couple of years' time, I can't see Moen really troubling them with with, with battle ball, what battle ball, and I think that's kind of a trouble, you know, a problem for Moen. And you know, I'm I'm a big Moen fan because he plays for Worcestershire, who are my county. But um, you know, I, I think we need to to run with Leach. Uh, yeah, maybe there'll be a role for for Moen as a as a second spinner. But if he's going to play as a second second spinner, I think he needs to be scoring runs too. Indeed. How about the leggy, the young leggy who was brought on for Parkinsonism? Yeah, he's he's an interesting bowler actually. It's a bit of a shame because he toured it. He was in the Test squad and and in the 2020 squad um, in New Zealand. So he was in New Zealand for a couple of months, and he only actually bowled, I think, about six overs. He played in a couple of the T20s and actually did well. Um, but then we we didn't hear from him again. He was just kind of walking around making people cups of tea, I think, for the rest of the tour. Um, but he is quite an exciting cricketer. But again, he hasn't played too many games. Um, so it's, it's important not to build him up and put too much uh, pressure and expectation on him. Um, but the times I've seen him, I've been quite impressed. He looks quite a, a gutsy, gutsy spin bowler, which, uh, spin, you know, leggies have got to have that kind of confidence. He does give the ball some air. So, yeah, we'll wait. I'll watch his career with interest. Indeed. I mean, England could really do with a leggy, a good one or a, you know, decent one for sure and he's very young and he he looked brave he looked the party like a old school test spinner who relies on drift and bounce and you know turn so let's see how that goes and i'm i'm really hoping he comes through and becomes the second spinner eventually the first spinner of england maybe i think we should uh, now talk about some of the serious points then so the keeping uh, conundrum uh, is uh, pope uh, the choice of pope was it right i mean again over a full-time keeper no ben fox in the squad and um, Johnny Besto has been asked to go back and uh, you know yeah. uh, score more runs, uh, sort of get back to form. I, I think we need to forget all about Ollie Pope ever keeping again. Um, the, the, he, he did a good job. He's not a keeper. He's, he's only kept in about five first-class games, and he's he's actually Surrey's third-choice wicketkeeper. Um, he only played because England made the mistake of only picking you know one keeper in the squad because um, they only took 14 men because it was only two tests. And then, of course, when Joss Butler got injured, Pope had to keep wicket. But but Ollie Pope really needs to focus on his batting. Um, so really, England have to choose between Butler, Bairstow and Ben Folkes. Um, and a lot of the purists really want to see Ben Folkes in the, in the side because he is by far the best wicketkeeper of the three. Um, the problem is the management don't seem to think he's as good a batsman as, as uh, either Bairstow or Butler. Um, I think that I think that Bairstow 
has done a good job over the years, um, but he wasn't scoring many runs. Um, I was hoping actually that England would turn to Folks then, but they gave the gloves to Butler. Um, because I think Butler's a, a favourite of Ed Smith, the um, the the national selector. Um, but Butler is a serviceable keeper. He's good enough in one day as. I don't think he's got the most natural hands that I've seen as a keeper butler. Um, but, you know, he has batted fairly well since his recall into the side. Um, I think any of those three could be serviceable and could do a good job. And I think it's just really a judgment call on on, on which one you prefer. Indeed. Uh, for me, folks should have played in this tour. At least he should have toured and been on hand if required, right? Yeah. I think he was injured and that was one of the periods where they chose butler. Um, when you know, Donny Buster was sort of uh, not doing very well with the bat and sort of lost his mojo. But um, let's see. I mean, I would completely count Bairstow out of the reckoning. He can force his way back in as a keeper of the squad. Um, and he has a lot to offer with the bat anyway. He's played 60-plus tests, so Definitely. there's a lot of experience there. So let's uh, the England selectors shape up. But ideally, the best glove man should have the gloves. But, you know, I joke about it in the other episodes as well. The England sometimes have as many keepers in the 11 as the fast bowlers. But... You know, it doesn't matter as long as, long as the right keeper has the game. And I don't know if Bear hold his own purely as a batter. Yeah, I think he can. Um, a lot of people think that he might be able to bat as high as three. I'm not so sure. I think he's more of a kind of a, a five or six or, or, or possibly seven if he's got the gloves. Um, but I, I Johnny Bairstow is an interesting one because he's a, he's a cricketer that I really, really like. But when he decided to focus on white ball cricket to break into the England um, World Cup squad, um, he kind of changed his technique a little bit. He started hitting through the offside um, a lot more um, and he, he got very good at that. And now he's a fantastic white ball player. But in doing so, he, he, he kind of played around with his technique and he lost his defence. Um, I think that if Johnny wants to score runs in test cricket again, he needs to work on his technique. And and in fact, he's out in South Africa now ahead of the tour working on his technique. Um, and and I, th- I think he will be back. I think he will. What do you think of uh... Denley and whether um, he's done enough to, you know, hold his hold the spot down for a couple of seasons, if he may? Yeah, Joe Denley's an interesting cricketer. I I loved him when he first came on the, on the scene. He played for the England Lions for the first time about ten years ago, and he looked like he, a young batsman of immense promise. Um, I remember seeing him pulling Brett Lee um, and hooking Brett Lee all over the shop in a, in a game for the Lions against Australia when Brett Lee was bowling quickly. Um, but then he, he sort of lost his way and kind of got lost a bit in the on, on the county circuit. Um, now he's he's kind of justifying his, his place in the order. I think three is a good spot for him because he you know he's decent against the new ball. I think he can do a, a job for a couple of years. Um, and and besides, it's kind of academic anyway. He, he's in the side. He's he, he's done well, and therefore we should stick with him until you know he he doesn't. Um, I think he deserves a, a run, and you know, age doesn't matter if you're scoring the runs. And Denley hasn't scored um, loads and loads of runs, but he's got a few half centuries. And you know, England have had so many problems with with their number three. I think if they can just find a number three who averages in the mid thirties, I think most supporters would take that at the moment. He's putting all that uh, experience he has gained to good use. Maybe you get two or three good seasons out of him. Who knows, right? So, I totally, I totally agree there with you. So, then comes the opening conundrum. So, yeah. maybe Rory Burns has sort of nailed his place down. He's 
you know done well both away and at home and but Dominic Sibley do you think yeah. he's ready yeah um i mean we can't tell after just the three innings um he he didn't look brilliant actually but um it, it's still early days i mean Graham Gooch got a pair on his test debut um Sibley's played three innings it, it's hard to tell a, a lot of people are saying that he's too um he looks to score on the leg side a bit too much and that he doesn't have an offside game but i i find that incredibly difficult to believe that someone can score as many runs as Sibley has in first-class cricket without being able to play through the offside at all. I think that once he, you know, if he can he can actually get in and build an innings, then we'll see that he can play all around the wicket. Um, but, but, you know, time will tell with Sibley. He's young enough, he's scored enough runs. And it, it, if somebody scores the weight of runs that Sibley has done in county cricket, they deserve an opportunity to, to prove themselves. You know, we, England can't just keep swapping every game they need to to give him a good run i, I think so look when it comes to left-hander and opener swing too far back there were two very successful ones right certain sir alistair cook wasn't too bad i seem to remember him yeah i'm more looking at temperament and technique and this guy this guy dom simply shows that at least he has a bit of fight in him and definitely um, give him more tests not not uh two innings or three innings and maybe a couple of couple of tours. Unfortunately, he's starting off with a tour, not at home, but that's fine too, right? I mean, um, I parked the last question uh, or the most, let's say, tough question for the end. It was Joe Root. So, do you think, first of all, Joe Root at four and the other one, should Joe Root be the captain? <laughs> yeah, that's the big question in English English cricket. F- first of all, I'm definitely in the Root at four camp. Um, statistically, he averages a lot more at number four um, than he does at number three, or, or indeed as he did as an opener. I, I think that Joe Root would be is an ideal number four in the side, um, and and that's where he should stay. Um, we can argue whether there's something technical that means that he he scores more runs at four than than three or opening. Um, I think potentially there he does defend a, a lot of balls to, sort of towards gully and point. Um, but but I think it's probably more of a mental thing with Root. He just feels comfortable at four, and therefore that's where he should bat. Um, whether he should be captain. He was appointed England captain, like most England captains these days. He didn't have a lot of experience of captaining sides in county cricket. Um, so he's kind of learning on the job. Um, and thus far, he hasn't showed any particular aptitude. You know, he hasn't shown that he can be a great captain. He, he makes some curious um, decisions with who he opens the bowling with at the beginning of sessions. Um, but the problem is, who else is there? Um, Root is the senior player and there are very few alternatives so I, I think that to take the captaincy off Joe Root would be a brave move because we're not quite sure who else could do it so I, I think we're probably going to stick with Root um, and there we go. Well for me look at least we'll have more runs from him right and I don't want him to lose that sheen. I don't want him to uh, not be the best batsman in the team anymore that's yeah. more concerning to me and for me look captaincy He's not. He's still a bit reactive. He's not proactive enough. And one of the things you pointed out yeah. was indeed sort of the bowlers he starts off in sessions. Um, sometimes he looks a bit clueless. I like. I think J- Josh Butler might be more of a captaincy. You know, he might have more now for the job. Mm-hmm. And how about Stuart brought for a stopgap for two seasons, maybe one and a half, two seasons? That, would that work at all? I think the problem with both Butler and Broad is that they're not actually dead certs to play. Um, Stuart Broad is, um, you know, people write him off and he always comes back strongly. But particularly away from home and in this last series in New Zealand, Stuart Broad bowled accurately. But unless he's kind of bowling at 85 miles an hour plus and he's in rhythm, he can look innocuous at times. 
Um, and if England are trying to get more pace into their side, um, you know, Broad might struggle to hold down a place, especially if Jimmy Anderson comes back um, in South Africa. So that's kind of the problem with Stuart Broad, um, although I have advocated him being captain in the past. Um, I'm now having second thoughts. Um, Joss Butler, I agree with you. I, you know, I think he could be a captain. Um, I think England see a lot in him, and, and I think ideally they'd like him to uh, to nail down his spot. Um, but there are just so many question marks over whether Joss plays as a batsman or whether he plays as a keeper. And then long term, you know, with Ollie Pope coming through, England might have to choose um, between Pope and Butler at some point. Um, and, um, you know, if Butler's, is it ideal to make Butler a captain? The captain's got to play and, and, and then that might hold back a young Ollie Pope. So it's very difficult. There are alternatives to, to Root as captain, but they're just not great ones, um, at least not at this present time. The way I see it, it's Root's captaincy for the foreseeable future, at least a couple more tours, let's say. If you were to look ahead, what do you think of uh, England's tour to South Africa? Yeah, South Africa are in a bit of turmoil at the moment, aren't they? Um, I think that England have got a really good chance, although England don't travel particularly well. Um, I just think that South Africa aren't as strong as, as as they used to be, and therefore it could be one of these topsy-turvy series between two sides that aren't particularly good at the moment. Um, I, I think both sides are capable of winning that. If England play well and, and get runs on the board, I, I guess they could win, but they will need to play well. You know, I, I somehow back England to take the series in South Africa. But when it comes to South Africa... I don't see enough good options for bowling or batting. That's a problem, you know. If one of them is weak, maybe the other one will show you up, you can say. In a test match on a five-day you know, long stretch, you will be found out. If Even if one of them is not good, you'll be found out, let alone if both of them are not good. That's mm-hmm. the only problem I see with South Africa. There's nobody really carrying the batting. The bowling, of course, Stein is gone and... They're they're definitely in transition there. They've lost a couple of really good bowlers to call pack deals and other things. But, you know, it's up to them. There's always Rabada. Yeah, Philander is on and off, hot and cold. Depends. At home, he's always very good. So, you never know if it's Philander's series. Who knows? You know, he can still uh, turn it around for South Africa. I would back England to take the series maybe 1-0 or so. And with that one being a part of the Test Match Championships, there is this um, sort of, you know, exhibition game or trying to work things out uh, sort of a yeah. thing is out. So, they will need the points. So, they'll do. They'll want to. You know, win both. Both teams will want to win, so that that'll make more compelling win for me. So, do you have anything to add, James? No, I think we've we've pretty much covered it. Um, I the the one thing I'd like to underline is that please, England, never pick five seamers in a test match again. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Don't do it. You know, five will never do it. All can't. But anyway, there we go. I mean, it would have been harsh. I would have said play Leach ahead of Sam Curran because you need somebody to toss the ball up. Root doesn't do it till he didn't, and whenever he did, he got hit. So, yeah, that was that was unfortunate. So, anyway, let's see. Uh, but all in all, as an England fan, are you looking forward to the next six to eight months uh, on how the Test match team and even the limited host teams will do? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could be um, in England go to Sri Lanka as well. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting times. And we, we've heard in the media that England might be bringing in um, Keaton Jennings of all people as a specialist opening batsman who plays spin well. Um, for that tour, which is kind of interesting. So we, we live in curious times um, and following England is certainly never dull. Well, uh, swap one ugly left-hand opener for another. I'm hoping Dom Sibley does his bit. <laughs> right? We'll see how how things shape up come the Sri Lanka tour. So, you know, I would like to say thanks for your participation and, you know, your very valuable insights. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure. It's great to be joining you for the first time and, you know, I might be back one day, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> No, indeed. So we would very much uh, want to have your inputs again. And 
uh, maybe we would do a other sections of podcast as well uh, we'll see how things go but do you have anything to plug james yeah just to say um you know if you want to read about english cricket come to uh, the full toss www.thefulltoss.com and you can follow us on um on twitter as well which is at the full toss and you'll find us on facebook as well so that'd be great great thanks a lot and yeah let's uh, hope we can again do one more uh, review of an england series or another series shortly in the future thanks a lot james thank you bye bye if you were to take a quick look at some of the other test match cricket that's been going on so we can have a quick look at the afghanistan versus west indies test which the west indies team won quite comfortably so this was a bit of a one sided affair it was held in lucknow's atal bihari vajpayee kanna cricket stadium in this case afghanistan batted first made just 187 thanks to a 39 by javed ahmadi and then a bit of a lower order resistance with the, the keeper afzal zazai making 32 and uh, amir hamza the spinner making 34 to lift them to 187 uh, rakim conwall the off spinner took 7 for 75 in the first innings in response west indies made uh, 277 so this was a bit of you know a fight in the innings with uh, shamar brooks making 100 john campbell making 55 and then shane dowrich making 42 this meant you know west indies were comfortably ahead with about 90 runs so this was always going to be tough for afghanistan amir hamza also started with the ball for them taking a 5-4 in his debut test rashid khan picked up 3 and zahir khan had picked up 2 wickets uh, in response afghanistan uh, could not really put up much of a total in the second innings Javed Ahmadi held the innings together at the top with 62 but uh, apart from the other opener Ibrahim Zadran there was really nobody to support him and uh, in the second innings the West Indian spinners uh, Rahim Conwall and Roston Chase took 3 for each and Jason Holder took the other three wickets in this case uh, this meant Rahim Conwall had taken a 10 for right so this is a very good analysis for uh, Conwall and uh, a very good talent has come up for west indian cricket that could serve west indian cricket for a long time especially test matches you know west indies chased down the 30 runs very easily without too much of uh, a doubt there and that meant you know west indies won this uh, one off test as far in few tests that afghanistan get i think this is a very important step in their learning curve as well and this was acknowledged by rashid khan in the post match interview he said you know the more tests they get to play the better they learn and faster they learn so there is a case for ireland afghanistan and uh, to an extent even zimbabwe probably to get together and play as many tests as possible even though they are outside the let's say the icc test championship there is a good chance for them to play and improve the standard of their cricket and learn uh, about test match cricket and learn how to pace and innings and those sort of things this was uh, not seen in this test match for afghanistan and uh, that's something they'll have to work on in the long term uh taking a quick look at the other test match this was the australia versus pakistan second test that happened in adelaide oval this was a day night test so this was characterized by a very very special innings of 335 not out by david warner marnus labushain uh, scored 162 so in this case australia made a mammoth 589 for 3 declared in very quick time and that meant pakistan were under the pressure uh, immediately after the first innings they chose to bring mohammad abbas back as we had all expected but surprisingly they gave mohammad musa a debut ahead of nasim shah while shahin shafridi was retained of course so this meant you know the pace bowling attack was all right but there was not a lot of bite in it 
and it turned out that way that all the three wickets that fell were taken by Shaheen Shah Afridi. And even though Mohammad Abbas was able to keep the runs down, he was not very penetrative. And uh, Mohammad Musa, the debutant, was a bit costly. Yasir Shah was also a bit costly. In fact, he went for more than six an hour, uh, over his 30 hours. And that was very strange to see for a spinner of his quality. I think he needs a more supporting sort of a field. But also, I think he needs to identify the right lengths to be bowl, bowling on Australian pitches. So it was a bit of both uh, happening there. But that basically meant, you know, Pakistan were right up against it. And they batted well in the first innings. So Babar Azam came to the party again, scoring 97, missing out on another 100 in consecutive tests. But his 97 was really good. And then Yasir Shah scored 100. He, he made up with the bat what he missed with the ball. And with a little bit of lower order resistance, made sure Pakistan made at least 302 runs in the first innings. But this is not enough to avoid a follow-on. In the Australian bowling analysis, so Mitchell Stark took 6 for 66 and then Pat Cummins took, took 3 for 83. This meant, uh, you know, Pakistan was following on and Shan Masood showed a bit of fight in the second innings. He made 68 and then Asad Shafiq made a 57 as well. Uh, there was a little bit of middle order resistance with, you know, Iftikhar Ahmad scoring 27 and Mohammad Rizwan scoring 45 as well. But Pakistan were only able to total 239. That meant, you know, they lost the test by an innings in 48 runs. Again, in the second innings, Nathan Lyon took a 5-4 and Josh Hazelwood took uh, three wickets. So, Nathan Lyon uh, again came to the fore, uh, having been quiet right through the series here. So, all in all, it was a bit of a disappointing tour for Pakistan, I must say, because, you know, in response, uh, Azhar Ali has come out and said it's hurt Pakistan's pride, and rightfully so, because uh, they were a very uh, strong touring team in the 80s and early 90s with a very, very good pace attack and they were always formidable wherever they toured. And there was always a bit of fight that was shown by the batsmen. Uh, to be frank, in this tour, the batsmen did their bit. You know, the batsmen were not caught wanting and they were not bundled out for under 200 every time or something. So in this case, probably the bowling team has to put up their hand and say, you know, we let the team down. And there is a bit of learning there for the young pace attack. And they can probably, if they can remember the lessons that they learned on this tour, it will serve them really well in the upcoming years because the entire pace attack looked uh, very raw. And Yasir Shah looked a bit off color uh, right through both the tests. Uh, he narrowly avoided becoming the first ever bowler to concede uh, two double hundreds back to back. But that doesn't take away anything from the fact that he was the lead bowler or he was the, let's say, the most experienced bowler in this team and he could not lead from the front. That's something he'll want to work on as well. The next assignment for Pakistan is the home series against Sri Lanka. So they'll be very eagerly, uh, let's say, looking forward to that and they want to prove themselves uh, by winning that series at home in front of home crowds. The first in of its kind in more than a decade. Right. So that's going to be very, you know, they're going to want to win that and that's going to be very important for them. Also from the Test championships perspective, the points that are on offer will be very crucial for both the teams. So, all in all, we can look forward to a very tight contest there between Sri Lanka and Pakistan in Pakistan. Moving on, uh, if you were to look at some of the news from off the field. So, uh, we heard that in the first test at Gaba between Australia and Pakistan, uh, the umpires had missed uh, something like 21 no balls in two sessions on the second day. So that's a staggering number of no-balls to miss. And, uh, you know, this this sort of leads to the next point that India have uh, appointed the third umpire to call the front foot no-balls in the India versus West Indies T20 series, I think, in an experimental basis. 
it i think it might become a norm in the upcoming years because it looks like uh, the more pressure that's put on the on field umpires the more they may miss on one of the other facet so this can only be fixed by either having the third umpire who's already in the game to call no balls front foot no balls from bowlers so that the on field umpires can concentrate on all the action that happens at the other end at the batting end that would be a good call so uh, this is going to be an interesting initiative from bcci so let's see how that goes in other news ireland's tim burta has uh, decided to retire from international cricket he uh, did well for ireland uh, in the two tests that he has really represented them and uh, he took a 5-4 at lords so he'll be remembered for that and he's a long serving county cricket uh, stalwart and he will always go out on the top there in other news abhimanyu mithun took five wickets in six balls in the last over of the sayed mushtaq ali trophy semi final between karnataka and haryana and uh, karnataka have then gone on to win the sayed mushtaq ali trophy the t20 trophy in india second year in a row where they beat tamil nadu in a very very tight final which they won by one run so as we had spoken in the previous episode bcci are uh, actually looking to tweak some of the recommendations from lodha committee so that uh, in the longer run it makes more sense so it looks like uh, this is uh, going to be heard in the courts and bcci will await the hearing and whether these uh, some of these recommendations can be rolled back the chief among those are some of the retirement ages recommended as well as the tenure uh, break that was recommended after a 6 year uh, cool off period so all of this might be repealed in the upcoming days and weeks in other news Mickey Arthur who's a much traveled and a much experienced international coach has been unveiled as the next Sri Lankan head coach interestingly his first assignment is going to be against Pakistan in Pakistan so you know that might have also contributed to his appointment we, we all know him as a very hard taskmaster and he might be the right sort of a person with the experience he brings under his belt to take Sri Lanka forward so he has taken over from Ramesh Ratnayake the interim coach In other news Sardar Patel Stadium that we know is being built at a cost of 700 crore Indian rupees will be inaugurated with a match between World 11 and Asia 11 this has been proposed so this is designed to be one of the biggest stadiums if not the biggest stadium in the cricketing world with a capacity of 110000 seats it's going to be a bit bigger than Melbourne Cricket Ground which currently has a capacity of 100000 seats this is going to be located in Motara locality and you know it is a very well appointed stadium it's been designed by the larson and tubro team that was also sort of uh, in charge of uh, some other big developments in the region we are all eagerly waiting to see how this stadium comes up and you know how it will be once it's inaugurated so the idea is it will be inaugurated in 2020 so the rest of the details are yet to come through in the other news the karnataka premier league fixing scandal that's coming out a ksca managing committee member has been arrested on suspicions of match fixing so this this comes as a real blow to the karnataka premier league so sridhendra shinde who was also a former karnataka player has been the person who's been arrested so this means it looks like this corruption has gone quite deep and a bit more clean up is required before this uh, tournament can be restaged in a bit of a sad news bob willis the former england fast bowler and captain Uh, has died after a prolonged illness so our condolences to his family and his friends so he will always remain uh, in our minds for his uh, match winning performances for england specifically the uh, 1981 ashes the so called bottoms ashes where at headingly he took an 8-4 to bundle australia out on the last innings uh, he was a great fast bowler and we will always remember that long long run up of which he stood on in and 
the gangly sort of a guy he was very tall and the locks uh, the gangly limbs all over the place when he delivered his volume so it 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 will always stay with us and also his acerbic uh, let's say uh, punditry at the end of his uh, cricket career he moved into the commentary box and he was a very let's say a very straight speaking commentator and also a summarizer who was always present at the end of uh, matches in the studio with some experts so we will miss that and we hope uh, he finds a better place wherever he is now moving on if we were to take a quick look at the trivia section so the question from the previous episode was which captain holds the record for most innings victories and how many so the answer to this question is graham smith uh, who as a captain has presided over 22 innings victories so that's the highest kohli has 10 so this was the background for this question that's a fantastic number of innings victories that also shows how dominant the south african team were under graham smith the trivia question for this episode is who was the man of match in the last test match pakistan won on australian soil so when was this match and who was the man of the match do write in with your answers to the question or your thoughts you could always get in touch with us for example on social media uh, via twitter at @armchairfootpod or using our facebook page or you could leave your answer as a comment to the episode on whichever podcasting app you use acast podbean apple podcast any of these right and uh, we will we would very much appreciate any feedback that we get about our episodes and how we can make it more appealing to our listeners and our friends out there so with more cricket coming up the india versus uh, west indies uh, t20 series which will begin uh, in a couple of hours in fact and also much more cricket that's supposed to come in the upcoming days not not least the let's say the pakistan sri lanka test series also the england south africa test series and the australia's uh, or rather new zealand tour of australia so plenty of good cricket coming up so we do hope uh, you guys stay tuned in and uh, thanks for joining it's a good bye from me and from giri thanks a lot bye bye you're listening to the armchair cricket podcast